This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And since I hadn't done uh, a show just prior to Halloween, remember, it's just stuff just got to be too crazy, too chaotic around. Well, not, not necessarily chaotic. There's just so much stuff that needed to get done by me that um, I just ran out. Of, I just wasn't going to have the time. So something had to give, and it was the show. Sorry. But. Because I didn't do a, a, a show just before Halloween, I didn't get the opportunity uh, to uh, to do a Halloween show. Now, and I don't necessarily do strictly Halloween shows, but uh, I've done some little things in the past, and I'll talk about Halloween-related type stuff. You know, horror movies and and uh, trick or treating, and and you know, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and stuff like that. I'll I'll. I, I have talked about that kind of uh, those topics in the past, round about Halloween. And I thought what I'd do is um, take this opportunity to, to to do a show that will focus on some Halloween stuff that I didn't get a chance to uh, to talk about because I didn't do a show that week. And then the following week, I ended up talking about other things. So you know, so I I, I thought that um, uh, I'd start off with. Uh, 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 with one of with one of these and now it's time for a dimland radio pedantic moment yeah this ought to be good well um it's going to take a little time uh, I, it's going to take a little setup in order to get to my pedantic moment uh, and i'm going to be talking about a movie there will be spoilers. I'm just letting you know that straight up. There will be spoilers. Uh, the movie's from 1973, so by my math, that's 46 years. Um, I think it's safe to give certain plot points away, uh, but I'll try not to spoil everything. But you know, there's going to be spoilers. Okay, the movie it's uh, it's one of my favorite horror movies, uh, and and in the genre of haunted house movies, it's one of my f- absolute favorites. Uh, it's been a favorite of mine since I was a kid. You know, I'd say in my teens, early teens. I remember seeing it on Saturday afternoon TV, and uh, and it's uh, it always fascinated me, and it felt a little naughty to be watching it because there was a certain sexual element to the. Uh, to the show, and so I, I thought that uh, uh, um, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, it was creepy and atmospheric and uh, and a little sexy, and so I you know might have been getting away with a little something. But it was on afternoon TV on the weekends. What show am I talking about? I'm talking about the movie from 1973. It's called The Legend of Hell House. This is a movie that's based on a book written by Richard Matheson, who you may know the name, know of this fellow. He was a highly respected writer in science fiction and horror. He had written um, a few episodes of The Twilight Zone. I know he's written at least one episode of Star Trek, the, the original series. And uh, he, so he's, he's well thought of science fiction horror writer. And he wrote this book called Hell House, which was a book that he based on another book called The Haunting of Hill House, written by, oh, geez, what's her name? Shirley Jackson? Shirley Johnson? 
Sharon Jackson, something like that. I, 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 when I put the show notes together, which you can get to at dimland.com, I'll, I'll try to, uh, you just click on the blog option, you'll find the show notes. I'll try to have something linked there that will uh, um, give some information about about that. And that book uh, was, you know, about a haunted house, of course. That was made into a movie called The Haunting. That's from 1950-something. It was directed by uh, Richard uh, Robert Wise. Robert Wise was a very respected film director. Um, and it's a very atmospheric, haunted house movie, low on special effects, but heavy on atmosphere and that kind of thing. Um, and, and that's the same deal with uh, Legend of Hell House. Uh, the difference in Richard Matheson's book one of the main differences was that he added a lot more violence into the book and a lot more sex. And the movie didn't quite have the level of, of, of violence and sex that the book did, but apparently it had enough to get the adult rating in, in, in the UK, which is, you know, apparently it did. Uh, but in the United States, it got PG. So, okay, it came, um, uh, the story is about uh, this this haunted house called the Belasco House. There was this uh, uh, super rich industrialist guy named Emmerich Belasco. He had the house built, and he lived in it, and he would have these... It's a big mansion, almost a castle-like house, and he would have these, these uh, long-lasting parties. He'd have all kinds of people over, and he'd have these parties that would go on for days or for weeks, and they'd be orgies, and there'd be, you know, sex orgies, but there'd be, uh, you know, all kinds of debauchery. But they would go into stuff like cannibalism and necrophilia and, and you know, just, just, you know, drugs and just anything. And it, it you know, gave the house quite the reputation. And then uh, at some point... Uh, the authorities broke into the house and found everybody in it dead, and the only person they didn't find was Emmerich Belasco. And ever since then, the house has been haunted. Some other old rich guy buys the house, and he wants to have a team go in and investigate it. It's been tried before to investigate and figure out what's going on in this haunted house, but he wants to send in a team to investigate it to figure out if there's life after death. And uh, so he sends in a scientist named Dr. Barrett, He's kind of half a scientist. He's a physicist, but he's also a parapsychologist. So, you know, kind of half a scientist. And then there's uh, two psychics. Uh, one is a w woman named uh, Florence Tanner, and the other is a, a man named Ben Fisher. And then uh, Dr. Barrett's wife, Anne, comes along. So the, the, the four of them are investigating the house. Two of them using their psychic abilities, one of them using science. And, um, well, the scientist has this idea that, uh, you know, he doesn't believe there's life after death. He, he believes in something different. Uh, he's more scientific sounding. And he has this idea of how to, how to clear the house of this, of this uh, dangerous hauntings. Because uh, other teams had tried to investigate the house, and uh, people came out either dead or insane. And in fact, the Fisher, Fisher fellow, he was the one who had uh, survived the last time, 20 years prior to this investigation. He's played by Roddy McDowell. He's pretty good. So there's this bit here. This will help explain. Um, Dr. Barrett has this machine brought to the house. And uh, this machine, he believes, will um, take care of the haunting. And so I'm going to read you this uh, segment of dialogue from the, from the film. Uh, the machine has shown up. And uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Fisher and Tanner come into the room where the machine is. Uh, Fisher is going to take Tanner away from the house for reasons. And uh, um, Dr. Barrett tells... Uh, Mr. Fisher, that he doesn't need to return to the house anyway because, as he says, this afternoon the house will be clear. To which Tanner asks, Clear? How? Fisher says, uh, There isn't time to explain. Tanner, I'm not leaving until I know. I'm, I am not leaving until I know. Dr. Barrett, Right. The body emits a form of energy invisible to the human eye. This energy can be expanded beyond the body, where it can create mechanical 
chemical, physical effects, sounds, the movements of objects such as, such as we've experienced. This energy is a field of electromagnetic radiation. Tanner, EMR, Dr. Barrett, exactly. All living organisms emit this energy. Such power must saturate its environment. Is it any wonder Hell House is this way? Consider the destructive residual energy which has been poured into it. In essence, the house is a giant battery whose energy is tapped by those who enter it. Tanner. But that energy is what we survive with after death. Dr. Barrett. No, the residue I speak of has nothing to do with surviving personalities. Emmerich Belasco's spirit does not prowl this house. Neither does his son or any of the other entities you believe yourself in contact with. There is one thing only in this house. Mindless, directionless power. Tanner. You're so wrong, Dr. Barrett. You cannot destroy a spirit. You, all you'll do is send it from one hell to another. Dr. Barrett. No, Miss Tanner. I am right. My machine will fill the house with a massive countercharge of radiation, which will reverse and dissipate its polarity, and Hell House will be exercised. So this is explaining what this machine is supposed to do. It's kind of uh, you know techno babble, but it's, it it will release its own electromagnetic radiation, which will counteract the electromagnetic radiation that's already in the house. So um, things happen. There's a bit of a conflict. There's some drama. Uh, but then, ultimately, the machine is turned on. Everybody that's in the house leaves for, I don't know, an hour, whatever. They all come back in. And uh, Dr. Barrett tells Mr. Fisher that, uh, you know, you'll have to open yourself up to it, up to the psychic energies. Uh, you know, check it out. And, uh, and Fisher does. And he walks around the house, and he has this look of, of stunned surprise. And then he comes and in bewilderment, and he comes back and he says, "The house is clear. The whole house is clear." He he, he doubted the machine, but now he says, "Why? It's it's hard to believe." So you know, Doctor Barrett, of course, is triumphant. I was right, <laughs> and he tells his wife uh, to get some rest before they leave the house that day. And uh, uh, he says, "I've got to do some more note taking that I didn't get to do before." So he so we see him taking some notes, and he's in front of these other machines that he had brought in. Uh, machines that can detect the the electromagnetic radiation, and he's you know, he's kind of making some notes, and all of a sudden, all the machines start whirring again. The little needles start bouncing up and down, and and all this power starts to come back into the, the readings of these machines. And he's he's looking at it, and he's flabbergasted, and he says, in true parapsychologist fashion, "I do not accept this." I mean, if he was a real scientist doing science properly, his reaction would have been, huh, that's odd. I wonder why that's happening. He wouldn't have been, I do not accept this. Well, things happen. And uh, we get to the climax of the movie. And uh, Fisher and Mrs. Barrett enter the chapel with, that's, that, is, that was built within the house. There's a, there's a chapel, a little little church. A church in hell, they call it. And Fisher thinks he knows what's going on because he's drawn to the chapel. Uh, well, actually, Mrs. Barrett was, and they find stuff. And he, see, he realizes the whole house is clear of the psychic energy, except for the chapel. So he goes in there, and he tells Mrs. Barrett, don't get involved. You know, I'm going to have my little, I'm going to have this out with this Emmerich Belasco guy. And so he starts yelling at Belasco, and there's some stuff that happens. And he, he Fisher, figures out the secret. I won't give away what the secret is, but he figures out the secret. The thing that Belasco didn't want anybody to know about. And somehow finding out that secret and revealing it to Belasco, that he knew it, defeats Belasco. You, you even hear him cry out in anguish, the, the spirit. You didn't hear anything, him saying anything or anything prior to that, but at that moment you do. And, you know, Fisher's triumphant. They find a secret room that had been built behind the, uh, the altar in the chapel. 
and uh, Fisher and Mrs. Barrett, they go into this little room, and it's just this empty little room except for a nice, comfortable chair with a side table, and sitting in the chair is this is this rather, uh, you know, kind of creepy-looking guy, <laughs> well-dressed, you know, in one of those rich guy smoking jackets, and he's got a he's got a sifter of brandy in one hand, and he's just sitting there, and he's not moving. And he looks as though he's a living person, but no, it's the dead body of Emmerich Belasco. And it's a, it's kind of a shock, but there he is. And and Fisher goes over and does a little test on the body to you know confirm what the secret was. And he he then starts to look around, and he says this. He says. This is why your husband's machine could not destroy his power. These walls are sheathed with lead. He built himself a fortress to protect his spirit. He knew what was coming years before it came. See, he had, he had, he had belittled Belasco earlier, saying, you're not a genius, but then he looks around this room, this secret room, and he thinks maybe he was a genius because the walls were sheathed with lead. And the lead was, you know, was put around the room in order to keep the countercharge of electromagnetic radiation that uh, Dr. Barrett's machine was, was sending out. So that, I mean, apparently, the dead body somehow still emits this EMR, I guess, or it's the focal point of the EMR, this, this dead body inside this room. So... So it, that's what, and, 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 and Fisher is saying that this Belasco figured this out. He must have known that the body emitted this electromagnetic radiation, and that's what, uh, that we survive with. That's how we survive after death. And he was using that to control the house and anybody that comes into it. And, uh, and the power of, of Dr. Barrett's machine wouldn't work, couldn't penetrate the walls of this secret room because they had lead along the walls. Now, I've watched this movie, I don't know, 20 times? More? I don't know. Since I was a kid? And I just watched it this last month, you know, being October, and I thought, oh, I, haven't watched, I don't know if I watched it last year, and I thought, well, I'm going to watch it again. So I put it in, I watched it, and something occurred to me, and here's the pedantic moment. <laughs> I told you it would take a little while to set it up. and then, oh, But, I'm getting to it. As I said, the lead in the walls was meant to keep the electromagnetic radiation given off by Dr. Barrett's machine out of the room. But wouldn't the lead, you know, doesn't it work both ways? Wouldn't the lead keep the electromagnetic radiation that's coming out of, of Belasco's body in the room? How is it that it's a, he's able to control the house and do all the stuff he does if it, that lead is in the way? See what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, um, I still like the movie. And I'll still enjoy it. And if I haven't ruined it for you, I, I suggest you check it out. I, it's, it's really cool. It's got this great scene in there toward the beginning. And I... And, uh, they, the people enter the house, and uh, the power's not working, but they get it all set up uh, and because there's a generator that runs the power. And, uh, and it, then they find that there's this uh, chapel within in the house, the church in hell. And uh, the, 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 the four of them go to the chapel, and they're going to go in, but Miss Tanner couldn't, couldn't. Her psychic powers were warning her too much. It's, she was getting too many bad vibes from the chapel, so she had to stay out. So while the three of them go in, she hears something. And she goes over to this, you know, in the direction of something that she hears, and then the three of them come piling out of the chapel, and Miss Tanner's gone. Where are you? Where are you? And then she, they find her, and she had found this phonogra phonograph, an old-time phonograph, and there's a record on it, and she plays the record, and it's the voice of Emmerich Belasco welcoming people to the house. And uh, I thought that's kind of cool, and um, and then uh, 
once that record's message is played, and Dr. Barrett says, well, you know, that was meant for somebody else, not for us. And Fisher, at this point, would be throwing in these little cryptic little statements here and there. And he said, he said that Belasco claimed that he could, um, he could will people to a certain object. And then a, their attention would be so drawn to that certain object that Belasco could move around, uh, around them without them knowing he's there. And Dr. Bear says, well, I doubt that. And Fisher says, do you? Our attention was on that a moment ago. How do you know he didn't walk right past us? I just love that little moment, which I just ruined for you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, it's still a good movie. It's, it's a lot. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not high-tech uh, special effects or anything like that. It's got uh, some interesting electronic music for the score. Um, and it's... Yeah, it's 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 atmosphere and suggestion and that kind of stuff and um, and it's really good. It's really worth watching. Uh, I will talk more about that movie because there's uh, something else I need to mention about it. But I need to go to my break first. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. Uh, I shall return with a with a little bit more about Legend of Hell House. News. 100% information. 100% guarantee. I thought you might say that. <laughs> You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. When, oh, when will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, talking about The Legend of Hell House, and and uh, movie from 1973. It's a haunted house movie. I think it's pretty good. I think it holds up pretty well. And uh, I um, there was something about a particular scene in there that I thought I, I'd discuss. Um, now, I've, met, I've talked in the past about... Uh, uh, suspension of disbelief when you're watching a movie you know as a skeptic i can i can watch a movie like legend of hell house and accept it accept the story and not go well pfft, there's no such thing as haunted houses i'm not going to watch this no i can accept that in the world that we're watching in the movie in that world there are haunted houses there are ghosts there are psychics you know that they they actually you know this stuff happens in the world that we're seeing in the movie. I can accept that. I can suspend my disbelief. Uh, I have trouble suspending my disbelief when characters in the movie act counter to what their character would be. 
how they, or just they break the rules that are established within the world. If there are some things that can happen that just will take you out of a movie. And there's a scene that um, in the film where uh, Miss Tanner, uh, she's a uh, she's a medium, a psychic, that believes she's in contact with Emmerich Belasco's son. Now, Dr. Barrett is being the doubting Thomas. He's he's not certain about all this because, well, as we as I in the dialogue I read, he doesn't believe they're surviving personalities. It's just this energy given off by, uh, uh, from our you know our bodies that somehow take some essence of us with it, or and then people that come in and they tap into that energy, and that's that's where all the phenomena takes place. By you know, anyway. And so it, it, that's that's what he so he doesn't believe Daniel's ghost is in there. He doesn't believe Belasco's ghost is in there, or any ghosts are in there. He just thinks it's some kind of EMR thing. And there's a um, she, there's a scene in which uh, she communicates with this Daniel, and then a, a later scene, she joins uh, Doctor Barrett and uh, and Mister Fisher in the in the dining room for some breakfast. And uh, she has a little something to say to him. Now I recorded this because I think it it it'll it'll uh, be better acted than than I can act. But um, um, when I watch this scene in the movie, I accept what she's saying and I go with it fine. But I thought to myself when I watched it the last time, if this had been something, let's say I'm having some doubts about some psychic's ability, and that psychic gets a little fed up with my my doubting and uh, gives me a little uh, uh, talking to. Uh, well, I started thinking of this scene in terms of, of that situation. So I'm going to play this clip and uh, it's about a minute long and uh, you just listen. It's uh, it's Dr. Barrett and, and Miss Tanner uh, having a somewhat heated discussion or at least Miss Tanner's having the heated discussion. <laughs> Dr. Barrett doesn't get much of a word in. So, okay, uh, just let's see. Hopefully this, this sounds okay. Here we go. I was visited by Belasco's son again this afternoon. When? Will it never end? Will what never end? This attitude of yours of doubt and distrust. Distrust? Yes. Why should mediums be expected to perform only under conditions that science dictates? We're not machines, we're human beings. What brought this on? Have I... I'm not a medium for the fun of it, you know. It's often painful, often unrewarding. Do you think that I don't... It know... just so happens that I believe that mediumship is God's manifestation in man. When I speak to thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto thee, Thus saith the Lord. I'll have you know that there's nothing in the Bible, not one single recorded phenomenon that does not occur today. Be it sights or sounds, shaking of the house, coming through closed doors, rushing winds, levitations, automatic writings, or the speaking in tongues! Ooh. <laughs> okay. So as I said, uh, in the movie, as part of the movie, I go along with that. But let's see, if, if we took that scene out of there, let's say I'm Dr. Barrett, and I'm not accepting her word i'm being a little bit of a doubter i'm not i'm not going oh really oh <laughs> i'm not reacting the way i'm reacting like oh you did huh and then she's and she she gets mad she says why should we perform under you know scientific conditions and i and it's well the answer to that is so that we can you know so that we can be certain that you're not cheating that you're not doing a trick that's why you know, it's just, we're supposed to just accept you? Well, we're human beings. Well, yeah, I know, but you say you can do this. You need to show that you can do this under observable conditions, where we can observe whether or not you're doing something underhanded, whether you're doing a trick, whether you're doing a trick knowingly or not. We need to find that out. We need to, in order to accept whatever information you're trying to give us, we just can't just take your word for it. That's how science works. We got to make sure that this is happening. It's just you know, so you can get all indignant that you want and start yelling at me <laughs> for not being, you know, believing you just for by your word, because I, we need we need evidence. We need to make sure that this is working. And oh, and by the way, by the way, 
you know, that's great. That bit you made up, you said about the Bible, that, that's great. But the only thing is, you know, the Bible's bullshit too. <laughs> it's like using bullshit to justify bullshit, it's just not going to move the needle for me. <laughs> yeah, the Bible says all this stuff happened in it. Well, there's no evidence that it did. It's just the Bible says it did. I, it's so <laughs> that's that's my kind of that's my reaction it's like i watched that i thought yeah you know that's and i can see uh people who actually do believe themselves to be mediums to be psychics and i believe there are people that really do believe it i you know there i'm i'm certain there are some out there that know that they're playing a trick that know that they aren't what they say they are and they're just getting famous and rich and whatever from doing it but I, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that believe themselves to be psychic, mediums, clairvoyant, intuitive, whatever they, however they want to call it, that they really believe that they are. It's just that they, you know, they may be, you know, employing the tricks that mentalists use, you know, cold reading techniques and that. They may be doing that without even knowing that's what they're doing. In fact, oh man, I wish I could remember the person's name, but I did read an article, this was years ago, uh, a blog piece or something written by a woman who was her mother and her grandmother were both psychics and and they raised her to be a psychic and they taught her you know this is how you open your intuitive mind and all this kind of stuff taught her how to do readings and she thought she was psychic and then she must she learned at some point about uh, cold reading and she realized that that's what she was doing and she had this epiphany and she realized that no I don't have any ability and my mother and grandmother probably don't either. This is we were just doing some and just didn't realize it, or at least she didn't realize it that she was doing a trick, and not actually tapping into some other realm, getting information about whatever, about what job that person should take, or if they're going to get a boyfriend. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I thought that was kind of uh, that was a neat thing that uh, well that occurred to me while I was watching that. So yeah, using the Bible. <laughs> yeah, sure. Now speaking of lead lining, <clears throat> oh well, that was earlier when I was speaking of lead lining. I saw this this snake oil product. It's it's not you know it's not it's it's it falls under the realm of snake oil, I think. Uh, there's this I've been seeing it on Facebook advertised. It's uh, it's men's underwear, boxer briefs, rather fashionable looking, that uh, protect the boys from uh, uh, electromagnetic frequencies, EMF. You know, the, protect protect your the men's junk from. Uh, cell phones, and I just I saw that and I just went oh for Pete's sake, and I commented on the ad. I said you know anything to extract money from the gullible. And now this underwear isn't uh, isn't lead infused. It doesn't have lead infused fibers. It has silver infused fibers. I did not know silver could block radioactive activity. I, you know, radiation, uh, electromagnetic frequencies. I didn't know that. Maybe it can. Maybe it can't. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, you know, and 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 you know, women. Of course, women could wear those briefs as well, those boxer briefs. But I, I, what about them? Don't they? Don't they have pockets in their pants sometimes, and they put their phones in there? Don't we want to protect their junk? <laughs> it's just. I, uh, Cell phones do not give off the kind of radiation that causes that sort of damage, as I understand it. It's non-ionizing radiation that they give off, and that's it's the ionizing stuff that's the dangerous stuff. I think I'm correct in that. It's not nearly high enough frequencies that they give off to cause you any problems. It doesn't cause any problems. There's, it's just, it doesn't. It's It just can't, or at least there's been nothing to show that it does. Uh, and the studies have been done, and thus far, everything looks pretty. You know, they're safe, and you're not. You don't have to. You don't have to worry about the, about the danglies getting bothered by your cell phone. You know, it's just. But it's just a way for some company to make a little extra money off of, charge a little extra money for some underwear, 
to get the gullible to hand, hand over the cash. Now, I saw an article, which I will link on the show notes, that had uh, mentioned that the um, that that same company, I think it's Lambs, I think it's what it's called, is uh, offering beanies made of that same material. Excuse me. <clears throat> I had to take a little sip of something. I was feeling a cough coming on. And it's beer. And I like to have a sip of beer. So, you know, a beanie that you could wear, I guess, to keep you know brain your brain protected from those same frequencies. It's uh, there's been you know, people are who are sensitive that they believe they're sensitive to electromagnetic radiation that kind of thing. You know that guy if you've been watching Better Call Saul, uh, uh, Saul's well Jimmy, his older brother has this illness. He's the, the electromagnetic radiation. He can't leave his house and he's got to have tinfoil on him and all this stuff like that. It's all in his head. It's all in the head. It's not. There's no. There's no. There's no. There's nothing. And 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 they demonstrate that in the show, which to their credit, showing that no, it's it's in the it's in the person's mind. It doesn't mean that they don't get sick. They don't physically get ill or anything. They they do, but it's not caused by a cell phone being nearby or having a lamp turned on. It's not caused by that. It's caused by what's going on in their brain. So it doesn't mean that they don't get sick. So, anyway, yeah, don't buy that underwear, okay? <laughs> don't waste your money. Uh, I think I've uh, earned my right to take another break, and, and I'll have a couple more sips of beer, and hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully, I won't get a cough going on here. Well, I'd hate that have a, have a cough happening during my show. Uh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, some uh, um, uh, some uh, movie, another movie. Horror movie. Well, is it a horror movie? I'll talk about it when I get back. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I shall return. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z Talk Radio. Are you looking for a science-based medical podcast to answer all your questions about health? Check out The Body of Evidence. Whether you're curious about the potential benefits of omega-3s or the potential risks of vaping, we take a look at the body of evidence to separate the noise, the hype, the lies from actual scientific rigor. We do it with comedy skits. The only logical thing to do is for me to take off all my clothes and run into the street. No, remember the first rule of podcasting. Always keep your pants on. With jingles. Some are thrilled, some are not. And by, you know, discussing what the evidence has to say on the topic at hand. Or unless that is a pill, but yeah, it has it has the side effects of bloating gas and greasy stool, which makes it very unpleasant. The Body of Evidence. Find it at bodyofevidence.ca or on your favorite podcast app. The Body of Evidence. Medicine that tastes funny and science made easy. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Z-Talk Radio is committed to bringing you the best radio possible. We will test your senses with innovative and entertaining radio programming. Honest, informative, inspirational, and on occasion, controversial. Our listening audience will also have the opportunity to interact with the show hosts and guests through live chat and call-in capabilities. You can't be left out of the loop. Tune into all our live shows once and you'll never turn your computer off again. Z-Talk Radio on your computer dial. Your healthy addiction.
welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Okay, I'm going to talk about another movie. Uh, this is a supposedly a horror movie. Well, <clears throat> well, I'll get to that. Uh, I hadn't watched it in a while. Uh, this is The Bride of Frankenstein, which was released in 1935, stars Boris Karloff as the monster of Frankenstein. Uh, Cli- Colin Clive comes back playing Henry Frankenstein, the uh, mad scientist who created the monster. And it brings in some other people uh, to create a bride for the monster. Okay. Well, the movie came out um, four years after the original Frankenstein was released, and there are some uh, differences between the movies. <laughs> Uh, Bri- now, it's the- Bride of Frankenstein is one of those movies that's uh, pointed at that's that said that it's a sequel that is better than the original. Uh, it's been argued that uh, Godfather Part Two is better than The Godfather. Um, it's been argued, and it, but but Bride of Frankenstein is is quite often pointed to and said that is better than in, than the original film, which uh, I absolutely disagree with. As I said, I hadn't watched the movie in quite a while, and I decided, well, I'll, I'll watch it again. And I remember part of the reason why I hadn't watched it in a while, or uh, my reaction when I watched it the last time, I remembered some aspect of that, and I thought, well, yeah, okay, let's see how let's see how that is now. Let's just see how I take it at this point. Well, <clears throat> um, Bride of Frankenstein is not a horror movie. It's not. It might have one or two horror elements to it, but it's, it's it's camp. It is straight up camp. And I mean extreme camp through the whole damn movie. There's a prologue at the beginning of the film where uh, you you meet these three people that are in a, it's a dark and stormy night they're in this big castle on a hill and there's three people two men and a woman sitting in this uh, opulent sitting room and one fellow is looking out the window watching the storm another fellow is sitting down writing something and the young woman is making doing needlepoint and these are three literary giants in the in the world there's Lord Byron is one. I think he was a poet or something. And then there's uh, uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley. I think that's how you say his name. And his wife, Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley is the author of the novel Frankenstein, a modern-day Prometheus, which is what the movie Frankenstein is based on. And this prologue, the whole point of the prologue is to catch the viewers up with what, what happened in the movie four years ago. And 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 this the guy who plays Lord Byron I didn't I didn't write down the name but the, he's just so over the top and he rolls his R's you just listen to him doing that you know he's just, and he's just I you know even he names himself and then he names you know Percy Shelley and then Shelley I think says the name of his wife Mary so that way we learn who these people are. And at some point, they, they, he, uh, Byron says, you know, how could this bland brow uh, have conjured such a horrific tale of a Frankenstein or whatever? You know, I don't have the exact dialogue. I didn't get it written down here. But that's that's the whole thing. And she's just looking at him like, and she says, you know, that wasn't the whole story. It wasn't. Pray, tell us more of the story. And then she starts to tell the story. I mean, it's, it's just, it, uh, audiences, even in 1935, had to be laughing at that. <laughs> so she, you know, they catch us up with what happened before. They show us a couple of scenes uh, and, and, you know, from the previous movie. And then she starts to tell the story again. And the story starts up right where the first movie had ended up. You know, it ended with the uh, the mill that the monster had was hiding in, and the angry mob sets it on fire to destroy the monster. And then this starts up with the mill, you know, collapsing under the flames, and and the crowd being dispersed by a different actor 
playing the Burgermeister, a different actor from the first movie. He, they decided to have a different one. And he's shooing the people away. All right, all right, everybody can go. And there's one person in that crowd, a woman named Minnie, who's played by Una O'Connor. And Una O'Connor, uh, for my, for as, as far as I'm concerned, single-handedly, almost single-handedly, ruins the movie. She is in for exposition, but she's also there for comic relief. Uh, she is the female embodiment of Lou Costello, of Abbott and Costello. She's she is uh, except she's not as timid as Lou. Uh, and I and I and that's what that's the thing that the last time I'd watched a movie before this was oh yeah that Uno O'Connor, she just she just destroys this movie, and and she's I you know she's so cartoonishly written, and and it's just and cartoonishly acted that there's no way to enjoy the movie with her. And there's no way to think of it as a horror movie. Yes, you can have comic relief within a horror movie. But, ugh. Okay. There's a difference between the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. In the intervening four years, talking movies, you know, sound movies, had begun to use a musical score. In the early days of the talkies, musical scores were rare if used at all. So in 1931, Frankenstein comes out, there's no musical score. There's a little, there's some music when the movie starts, there's some music when the movie ends, but there's no, you know, music to underplay the scenes to help, you know, with moods, set up, uh, set up tension, to build on this, that, you know, to lighten the mood, to do the things that music does in movies. And so there's none of that. It's just the silence uh, or the 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 the, sorry, the slight staticky, scratchy sound of the quiet film. You know, as the, as the you know, and that's I always like that. I th- I think that's kind of I I always enjoyed that. But Bride of Frankenstein has a score. Now both of these movies are made by the same director, James Whale. James Whale had used uh, Uno O'Connor in his uh, in, when he directed the movie uh, The Invisible Man. Um, which I, she's better in that movie than she is in this one. I, I don't mind her in that, but she, but I, I, for some reason, you know, The Invisible Man is sort of a horror movie too. But there's a certain camp to that too, and for some reason that doesn't bother me. But in Bride of Frankenstein, it bothers me. So, um, <clears throat> okay, the music that plays under here. Now I recorded, I got some sequence here at the beginning of the movie. You know, when, once they get past the prologue. There's an older couple that hangs behind as the as the crowds leave. They are supposed to be I don't know. They say our little Maria. Now Maria was the girl that was murdered by accidentally murdered by the monster in the first movie. She was thrown into the pond. Um, th- well, her father's name was Ludwig. Well, this the guy in this couple. His name is Hans. So is are they aunt and uncle, grandparents? I don't know. But okay. Or are these? Are we supposed to just figure that they're, they're parents? Now, this, this what I'm going to play for you. You will hear. Um, okay, Hans. He wants to be certain that the that the monster has been destroyed, and he's looking into this pit that was left behind by the collapsing, burnt mill, and he's looking in, and he falls in, and there's for some reason there's a bunch of water down there. He falls into this water, and the monster is down there. He's, he, he's you, at first you see Karloff's hand. And then you see Karloff move out from behind a wall or a large rock or something. And you notice that, hey, the monster gained 20 pounds. <laughs> well, Karloff, the actor, could afford better meals after becoming a star uh, in 1931. But, okay, so the monster's there. He looks singed, a little heavier, and he attacks Hans and kills him. Well, you, of course he's going to be a little cheesed off. And then he starts to climb out of the pit, and the old woman, that's uh, the, the wife of Hans, we presume, she reaches down to help. She thinks it's her husband coming up. And she turns her back, but she's got her arm, hand down, and she, and she takes the hand of the monster and, and turns and pulls at him 
to get him out of the pit. And then when she turns back and looks, she sees that she's holding hands with the monster. The monster, you know, she screams and the monster grabs her and throws her into the pit and kills her. And then he walks along. He walks around and he, he, he comes up to Minnie, played by Una O'Connor. And it's it. Now, there are horror elements in that sequence with where Hans gets killed and his wife gets killed. And it it's right at that point, it could be a horror movie where the monster is set off on revenge against Frankenstein and the people of this village. Right? That could be the, that could be the deal there with the subplot of, of creating the bride. But no. <laughs> no, that's not where the way the movie goes. It just goes for creating the bride and the monster's treated like some, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so, but it still could be a horror movie at this point. Now, I'm going to play this clip for you. I want you to pay attention to the, to the music for the score. Um, there's also a, a pause in here where the sound drops. The video that I got this audio from, it, it does a little pause. You'll see it in the show notes when you go to and check it out. But it does a pause, and then it starts up again. So I wasn't able to edit the pause out because I don't know how, and uh, I'll just kind of tell you what's going on. So I'm going to play this clip. Pay attention to the, to the score, to the background music, and what it's the cues it's giving you about what kind of movie this is. All right, this is, uh, have I got the right thing queued up? Okay, here we go. Monster attacks Hans. Now the monster's climbing out of the pit. The lady sees him. She gets thrown in the pit. Okay, now listen. Now that's where he walks up on Minnie and she starts to react. Now listen to her reaction. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> it's she, you know, it's alive. It's terrible. I mean, it's she is meant the audience. Even then, even in 1935, you know, you, you we could look at the 1931 version of, of Frankenstein and think it's not as scary. But to the audiences then, that would be that could be a very scary film, and. You, you, even in 1935, when they see that they are cued by the music, as the monster walks around the remains of the mill and walks up behind Minnie, it goes from that ominous music to bringing in a, a I think it's a clarinet to go, you know, and, and it's just it lightens and it's like, oh, this is going to be funny, and she does this. She, you ever see the 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 um, Looney Tunes cartoons, where Bugs Bunny, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, there's one where he's sent out into space, and 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 he's he's kind of freaked out by it, and he does this kind of, you know, and every time he makes an utterance, his whole body and his face changes position and expression, just like you know, it's like that kind of a reaction. Or if you see, like I said, Lou Costello of Abbott and Costello. Doing this kind of, you know, this comedic being scared. That's that's what she does. That's how she reacts. And the music cues that kind of, uh, you know, uh, that reaction and lets the audience know that now we should be laughing. We should be laughing. And it's like, okay, so this movie is no longer a horror movie. It is camp. It is straight up camp. And that's how it is. For the rest of the movie, and any time Una O'Connor shows up on the screen, it's just I just cringe, and she just, uh, she's just. Uh. So, in my humble opinion, n n no, Bride of Frankenstein is not a better movie than Frankenstein. Oh, it might have a better budget, it might have better production, a little bit, 
it's got some nice elements in cinematography and the monsters looks pretty good still and it, it's got you know it does have stuff but and and the bride the look of the bride when she comes out cool fantastic it has elements of uh, that uh, that I really like but it's it's not a horror movie however there is somebody who disagrees with my opinion. I did find a five-minute video of uh, Neil Gaiman, a, a, a horror writer, sci-fi writer, um, very famous, very successful, very wealthy, uh, talking about how much he loves Bride of Frankenstein. He agrees that it's very, it's campy, but he says, like, somewhat campy. And I looked at him like, somewhat? <laughs> no. Anyway, I'll link to that video too so you can check it out and see what you think. But, oh, oh, terrible. Uh, there's also something cool. Here's a cool thing, um, and I'll link to it as well. It shows some of the tricks that the old movies used to do. There's, uh, If you watch the movie Joker, there's a scene in there where on television is uh, uh, it's the film Modern Times. It's a Charlie Chaplin silent where he's playing the, the little tramp, and he's roller skating in, a, I guess it's a department store or something, and there's a there's a... There's a drop-off, open floor area where it just drops right off. Like the the there's been being some construction being done apparently, and or something. And he's roller skating. He's going backwards to it, and he almost falls over into the drop-off. He just keeps kind of teasing us with, "Oh, it's too dangerous." And um, there's a, a very cool uh, a video de demonstrating what how they did that, because he's not actually skating up to something that he could fall over. He's he's it's a matte painting that is painted on glass and it's put up right up close to the camera and it and 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 uh, Chaplin is you know using that force perspective to make it appear as though he's he could fall down something it's very cool uh, there's, there's also a bit with uh, Harold Lloyd another uh, another great screen act uh, screen actor comedian. In the, from the silent era and there's a, this famous scene where he's hanging from a clock on the outside of a building and it looks like he's way up there in the air but he's really not he's on the and it shows you how they use the perspective they built a, a false wall on top of another building and he's only just a few feet up off the off the top, off the roof of the building that he's on but it looks like he's he's uh, he's dangling from the side of a tall skyscraper uh, tall for those days anyway uh, it's very cool check it out I hope you've had at least uh, you know at least one cool thing happen to you if not maybe you know three or four or maybe even more but uh, I hope you have good night Herr doctor good night Frau Blucher and I've made the end of another show. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. Remember to be skeptical, and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, and I'm reminding all of you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network.
And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going, I'm going to hell. To hell.